Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Let's have... I know he's, last week we had a big American welcome. Chuck has a ch American-sounding name, so we can just go for it. Uh, let's have a big welcome for Chuck. Well, it is so flipping brilliant to be here. We are... It's very emotional, actually. We, we, knew, we, we knew we'd love it. Uh, we've admired and loved Kate and Ben for a long time, and uh, we knew that it would be brilliant. We just didn't know it would be this brilliant. And uh, I knew I was going to get all emotional. It's really brilliant. You, like, if you're here visiting for the first time today, you, you know, you've just got lucky. Like, this is, this is a great church, and uh, it's led by great leaders. And, uh, you know, there are people all over Scotland who are longing for something just like this, what you have. Uh, people are longing for it, a church that's led by great people, teaches the Bible well, lovely, sweet worship, full of life, full of energy, passion for the lost, wanting to press into the things of the kingdom. This is like, you're living the dream. And uh, so it's great to be here. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, and um, my name's Chuck. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> my, my parents called me Charles Edward. That's my given name. And uh, so when I was about 11, I was so sick of just everyone saying that I had a really royal sounding name that my English teacher called me Chuck once and I just, l I just reached for it and I took <laughs> hold of it. And so I'm not American, uh, neither am I Scottish, although we have been in Aberdeen for 15 years. Uh, my wife, Taryn, the lovely Taryn. Stand up and give us a twirl, Taryn. <laughs> we, we lead Catalyst Vineyard, which is a multi-site church we have I don't know exactly how many, about 12 different weekend services in eight different locations around the northeast of Scotland. And uh, it's, it, we've been there for 15 years. It's great to be there and it's great to be here today. Uh, and um, what we want to do this morning is to take some time to honour and love Ben and Kate. And uh, that's going to be very uncomfortable for them. And they're already dying and I haven't even started. <laughs> but uh, we want to just pray for them and just recognise who they are and what they've brought to this uh, and then Taryn's going to bring God's word to us. Um, just so you know, in case you don't know, uh, the Vineyard family in Scotland is in rude health, like excellent health and, and uh, since you guys started just over two years ago, uh, I think we've planted five other churches, uh, I'm going to say five. Uh, so uh, today is Inverness Vineyard's second birthday and so they just short, came shortly after these guys. Uh, and then uh, after that, we planted Stirling Vineyard, Inverclyde Vineyard, uh, Kakodi Vineyard is about to start, and also East Kilbride Vineyard uh, are here with us today. And so I think that's five. So it's, it's all going very well. It's very exciting. If you want to plant a church anywhere in Scotland, I would strongly encourage you to do that. And uh, <laughs> please come and speak to me afterwards. Um, listen, nobody made Ben and Kate come here. Like, no, nobody... I actually don't think anyone said, I know that there are, you know, stories about how you came to think about Scotland and all of that, but nobody said to Ben and Kate, hey, we really need a great church in Edinburgh. Would you guys consider moving to Edinburgh and planting Edinburgh Vineyard? Uh, the Holy Spirit compelled them to come. And so what you are experiencing here today is the fruit of their obedience. They chose to receive a word from the Lord, to uh, act on it, to move their family, laid down their jobs, buy a new 
house and all of that stuff, they choose to move here because the Holy Spirit was asking them to. And so actually what you are receiving is the benefit of their obedience. And so it just feels like the right moment to just honour them for that. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says this. It says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so what I really want to say before we pray for them is that your goal from now on has to be to make their work a joy and not a burden. Um, Our kids, we have three kids they're all sort of around the teenage zone. And so they're away this weekend at a youth weekend. And, and so we've got a weekend to ourselves, which is rather lovely. But Friday night was extraordinarily stressful. Uh, we had about 45 minutes from when they came through the door to get them packed and get you know food down their necks and then get them out the door again. And it, let's just say, I mean, I, I know you'd find this very hard to believe, but let's just say that there was some shouting happening in the household. <laughs> And uh, like one of our kids is like, I'm not taking wellies. And we're like, it says on the list, you have to take wellies. The, uh, one of the other kids is like, they've, they've packed all of their, you know, stuff that they really like wearing. They're sort of, you know, things with labels on and all of that. And we're going, it says on the list, you've got to wear clothes that are old. And like, it's just, so uh, at one point I found myself shouting at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I'm not shouting. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, but one of those things that happens. Isn't it amazing the things that we allow to make us, to the internal temperature of our souls to increase? Isn't it amazing the things that we'll allow to allow our blood pressure to rise? What if we were to kind of harness all of our energy, all of the emotional energy that we have, all of our passion, and instead of unleashing it in anger, or in frustration, what if we were to release it in blessing? Like, What if you guys were to consider, what would it look like for you to bless this city? To just harness all of the energy that you have, all of the passion that you have, and to think about how could we bless every single person in this city? And whilst you were thinking about that, maybe you could take some time to consider, what would it be like to take some of your passion and unleash it in blessing towards your leaders. And I, I don't know whether what you think that might look like. Like in, in Britain, in Scotland, we're not brilliant at being encouraging towards one another. But what would it look like to just really, really bless Ben and Kate? Like I just want to give you some practical tips at this point. A kind of how-to guide. So in the vineyard, we have, this li- we have lots of little phrases for everything. But one of the things that we say is that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Well, here's a new one for you. Blessing is spelled W-I-N-E, right? So, so by which I mean there is never a bad moment to take a bottle of Prosecco and leave it on their doorstep, right? That would be, that would be an entirely appropriate thing to do. Or to, you know, get some of those little, like, pretzel vouchers or, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Pizza Express vouchers, something like that and just write a little card and stick it through their door. That would be a great idea. Or to send them a little email. Hey, I just wanted you to know, I really appreciate your leadership. 
I think you're really amazing on what you do. I'm so grateful that you moved up from Leeds to come to Edinburgh so that we, I could be part of what God is doing here. Just thank you so much. You know, a little email or even better, a handwritten card just to say, hey, we love you. We're so grateful for what you're doing. Thank you for coming. Uh, if there's, you know, I'm for you. If there's anything that I can do to encourage or support you in any way, we would love to do that. Like, can I just... There are, there are some assets to the church, right? You have some things that cost money. Um, this is your most valuable asset right here. And the health of their hearts is in your hands. If you consider how you can love them and support them, encourage them, bless them, the more that you do that, the healthier this entire enterprise will be. And so, um, please will you do that. If you don't, we'll come and send the boys around and uh, <laughs> we'll do some damage. Like, well, these people mean a lot to us. They mean a lot to the vineyard, uh, in the wider vineyard family. And so please will you look after them in every way that you possibly can. Um, what I want to do, just for a few moments, is to pray for them. And so I was kind of looking at the rough geography of the room. What I'd like them to do is to go and stand in the middle of the room, um, just behind Joe and Nikki there. So guys, why don't you just go over there? And then we're going to kind of like make a great big circle around them. You might need to just, everyone stand up. If you're in leadership in this church, could you be really close to them and just lay some hands on them? Doesn't, if you're visiting, like you can still join in, it's all fine. But we just want to make sure... I haven't really thought this through. Uh, so, Ben and Kate, you could hold hands or something like that. Oh, look, keeping the love alive. Okay. Wonderful. If you'd like to take your seats again, and I'm going to introduce to you the delightful, the lovely... Beautiful, hot, hot, Taryn. Honestly, every time I want to kill him. Hello, hello, wonderful. It is so, so brilliant to be with you this morning. Lowering it a wee bit, yeah, that's good. That's fine, that's good. Thank you, thank you. Um... Today doesn't just mark a new chapter for you as a church family, but it actually begins the start of a whole new volume, a new book that is part of a larger collection of books that is wrapped around the history and life and future of the Vineyard Church in Scotland. Ben and Kate, you've not only carried a dream that is in your hearts, not only have you been obedient to the call of God, you left England to come all the way to Scotland to plant Edinburgh Vineyard, and now that dream has become a church. Yeah. A church. It's amazing, isn't it? A church that is deeply committed to the poor. A church that is passionate about worship. A church that welcomes and hosts the presence of the Holy Spirit. A church that orchestrates itself to the most um, intimate times 
of hearing God's voice, being in his presence. A church that proclaims that Jesus is alive, that he is a good father, he is a good God. And that he loves you and that he is for you. And he wants to see transformation in you. A church that wants to welcome you home. A church that is good news to Edinburgh and good news for Scotland. Can you believe it? It's here. It's real. You're living the dream. Ben and Kate, you have marked the ground. You have put a stake in it. You put your house on the market. You left your jobs, you moved your children. You traveled to this whole new city, this new home. You got a new home, new jobs, made a new community. The kids had to find new schools. You have taken huge, huge risks. You've stepped into the unknown. You forged a path actually so that others can follow. Can we as a church family today say thank you for saying yes to the call of God? Thank you for being obedient to everything that God has asked you to do. Because if you hadn't, then none of us would be here. This church wouldn't be here. Can we give them a big cheer for that? Thank you. And in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus as he calls the fir- his very first disciples, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. They're the first of the 12 disciples to be called by Jesus. And there they are, they're um, at the Sea of Galilee, they're fishermen, and so they're doing what fishermen do best. And uh, they're casting their nets out to sea, and Jesus walks by, and he says to them, Hey, Peter, hey, Simon, come and follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. And the Bible says at once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Well, Ben and Kate, that's exactly what you've done. You left your nets, your home, your church, your life, your family, your friends, your job. And you obeyed the call of the Lord to start fishing in a whole new place here in Edinburgh. And just like Jesus' disciples, you, Ben and Kay, I know, will have faced a huge amount of challenges. And I don't need to know the future to also know that coming um, probably down the line at some point, there will be a whole heap of new challenges, seemingly impossible circumstances. And for each one of us here, whether we're visiting today or we are part of this church family, without a shadow of a doubt... I can say for certain that we will face challenges, difficult situations, seemingly impossible circumstances. Maybe for some of us right now, we're smack bang in the middle of one of them, where where all we can see are these impossible obstacles in our way. Maybe it's to do with finances. Whichever which way you look, all you can see is this impossible burden of money or, or the lack of it. And it's causing you a huge amount of stress and anxiety and worry. Maybe maybe for some of us in the room, we're facing depression. We're in the middle of that. Or loneliness. Or marriage turmoil. Or parenting heartbreak. Maybe our anxiety levels are raising, getting raised all the time. We're thinking, what on earth is going on? Maybe for some of us here, we're struggling with a a disorder, maybe an eating disorder. 
where all we can see is this massive, big, huge, impossible pain in our lives. The reality is we will undoubtedly face those things. Challenges, tough situations, seemingly impossible circumstances. But what I believe the Lord wants to highlight to us this morning, he wants to paint it in the sky. He wants to light it up like a neon sign for all of us to know this morning that he is the God that makes the impossible possible. We know a God who can make a way right through the obstacles, the pain, the heartbreak that we face and we will face. We serve a God who is always, always, always working for our good. Jesus Christ is in the business of making the impossible possible. And I want us to look today at how Jesus, he turns around an impossible situation. And for Ben and Kate, I believe that the Lord is saying to you, I want, um, this is a truth that I want you to tuck away into your hearts. He wants to whisper and remind you of this truth on a daily basis, that he's in control, that he's got you. He called you to this beautiful city to plant this glorious church and that as you move and you press forward in building his kingdom, building this church, no matter how difficult the obstacles that you face seem, he is the God that makes streams in the desert. He is the God that causes the Dead Sea to teem with life. He is the God who creates inroads and pathways and walkways right through impossible situations. He's got this and he's got you. And for those of us who are here, who are part of this church family, who are building and plowing and sowing into this wonderful community, I believe that the Lord is also wanting you too to tuck this word away into your hearts. Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you with his promises, his perspective, his boldness, his truth. As you take more ground in growing and building his kingdom, digging deeper, going wider, where difficult and challenging and impossible circumstances actually become breakthrough moments, breakthrough seasons in your lives that are beautiful, that are glorious. They're raw, but they're stunning. Where Jesus' church is magnified, where Jesus is glorified. And so this morning we're in John, the book of John, which is in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to that or you can swipe to it. We're in John 21 and we're going to read verses 1 to 8. And Jesus appears again at the same place as he first called Peter and Andrew to come follow him some three years earlier. And he's at the Sea of Galilee. And again, Peter, there he is, he's doing what he does, which is fish. And he's there with some of the other, dis- other disciples. So it's the same place with the same person doing the same thing, but it's three years later. So Sea of Galilee, Simon Peter, and he's out fishing. So I'm going to read it to you. So we're John 21, verses 1 to 8. Okay. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. 
It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred meters amen okay so the question that we're asking today is what is Jesus wanting us to do when we're faced with difficult challenging and seemingly impossible circumstances what can we learn from Peter Well, the first thing is, point number one, he's wanting us to recognize that we can't do it, fix it, change it ourselves. Like I said, the disciples, they've been with Jesus for three whole years. It would have been an incredible time for them. They would have been taught so much. Jesus would have shouted and protected them, challenged them, taught them, encouraged, sometimes rebuked them. You see, it was an incredible time of intimacy, of healing, of learning and growing for them. And now that time has come to an end because Jesus has been crucified on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again. He came back to life. And this passage that we've just read is just one of a few times, actually, that Jesus appears to the disciples again. And so the disciples, they're heartbroken. They're left with a whole bunch of pain. They've got so many unanswered questions about Jesus' crucifixion and his death. They don't know when they'll ever see him again. And I think it's fair to say that their world is shattered. Their world has been turned upside down and inside out. And so what do they decide to do? They decide to go fishing because they're fishermen. That's what they do. The only problem is they've been out fishing And they've not caught anything. And there they are. They're sitting in the boat. They've been out all night long. And they've not caught a single fish. And I reckon they must have been feeling pretty disappointed. Pretty fed up. I reckon they were tired. I reckon they had got to the end of themselves. They'd caught nothing. They'd achieved nothing, and then Jesus comes along, except they don't recognize him. It says in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. So why is Jesus stating the obvious? Why is he, if you like, rubbing salt into the wound? by asking them this question of, you know, have you got any fish? Because I reckon the disciples are going to feel even more useless, even more terrible 
aren't they, about their lack of fish? I think Jesus is asking this question because he's wanting to highlight to his disciples what they don't have, what they can't do themselves. He's wanting them to understand that they can't do it. You see, the situation has been reduced to the very, very basics. They can't even catch one fish after an entire night of trying. They're supposed to be fishermen, for goodness sake. Not one fish. And for us, there are things in our lives and things probably going forward um, at some point from here. There will be times ahead of us where we will feel like we have tried everything. Every which way we have tried it and we can see that our attempts are just not enough. The supply has run out and we just can't make it work. For the disciples, the supply that they needed was fish. What supply do we need today? What need do we have today? Because the need is there. You know, we can each see it. There it is. And it's getting bigger and bigger every time our own attempts fail. The need increases. And we try and get round it and over it and under it and through it. And we just can't. And eventually, we get to the end of ourselves. Eventually, we realize, I can't make this work. I can't mend it. I can't fix it. I can't do it. And we're left fed up, miserable and desperate just like the disciples. We might be questioning, where are you, Jesus? Where are you? Where are you in all of this? And in verse six, we see where Jesus is. Even if the disciples didn't recognize him, Jesus is there. He knows their need. He sees their need and he wants to meet their need. And he says to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. So point number two, the second thing we do is after realizing that we can't do it ourselves, is to realize that someone else can and that someone else is Jesus and we can depend on him. Which means that we can trust him. We can rest in confidence in him. We can rely on him. We can confide in him. We can be certain in him. We can hope in him. That word depend, you know, it's a verb. It's, it's doing. It's action. It's a state of mind. It's a choice that we have. And here's the thing. He wants us to do that even when we can't see him even when we don't recognize that he's here, just like the disciples. Because the reality is it doesn't mean that he's not here. My story is um, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a very severe and rare form of kidney disease. And um, I, I was about three years old when I was taken into hospital um, my kidneys leaked protein and I was retaining a huge amount of fluid. And um, the doctors had tried all sorts of things. And one thing that they had discovered was a steroid drug that didn't cure my symptoms at all, but actually it kind of uh, helped manage my symptoms. And over the past month, I'd gone from being uh, steroid responsive to steroid Uh, dependent to steroid resistant, which basically meant that those steroids were no longer working. 
And age three, because I was retaining so much fluid, I was in seven-year-old pajamas. I was huge. The doctors could, couldn't get any drips in me. They couldn't get any tubes in me. Um, it was a pretty hopeless situation. And uh, on a Friday afternoon, the doctors came round to speak to my parents to say that if um, nothing had improved over the weekend, they were going to take me to Great Ormond Street Hospital on the Monday morning, where they were going to try me on a whole bunch of toxic drugs uh, in the hope that something would work for me. And then they went on to explain that these toxic drugs would have irreversible side effects. And they, they said I would lose all my teeth, I would lose all my hair, there would be a thinning of my skin, and I would never be able to have children. And you can imagine my parents looking at their little three-year-old daughter and knowing either she's going to die or that is the prognosis that she's going to have for the rest of her life. She's going to have to live with that stuff. Pretty heartbreaking. And so my parents, they're Christians, and so they got on the phone to everyone they knew, and they asked every single person to pray for me. And then my mum said as she got home from the hospital that Friday afternoon, she ran up to their bedroom, and she flung herself on the bed, and she said to the Lord, you've got to give me a word, you've got to give me something, I need to hold on to something of you, I know you're there, you've got to reveal yourself to me, because this is an impossible situation. And then what she did was she grabbed the Bible that was closest to her, uh, which was the King James Version Bible. It's not her standard Bible, but that's what she did. And she did what everyone always says you must never do, and that's just open it up. And then she was just opened it up and she started reading. And she started reading Psalm 46. And as she started reading, interestingly, it only says this in the King James Version of the Bible, her eyes and her words and her heart fell on verses five and six, where God said, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. My mum, over that weekend, turned that little phrase, that, those few verses, into a song. And she just kept singing that over and over again and trusting that God was gonna do something incredible. Monday morning came, the consultants came round and they couldn't believe the difference in me. I looked completely different. A lot of my swelling had gone down to the point where they said, I think we just need to check again these steroid drugs and just see if she is receptive to them again. And lo and behold, I was. I never had to go to Great Ormond Street Hospital. I never needed any of those toxic drugs. In, in an illness, a battle that I've had for about 13 years of my life, I've had no side effects whatsoever except a little bit of stunted growth, and that's okay because I like being small. You see, when everything else fails, Jesus never does. He never does. We can depend on him. One word from Jesus changes everything. One command from him turns, it, turns everything around. Jesus can make the impossible possible. He is the one who will meet our needs. He is the one that will bring about the supply. We can't do it no matter how hard we try. We can't. Only in him is it possible. When we depend on Jesus, 
when we're obedient to what he's asking us to do, amazing things happen. And we see this in verse 6. Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. So the impossible has been made possible from a catch of a big fat zero to suddenly this huge number of fish. The disciples, they had to come to the end of themselves to realize that their ability to catch fish had been completely reduced to nothing. And then Jesus comes along and one word from him and it changes it all. Every aspect. You see, Jesus, I believe, was showing the disciples that they can trust him. That they can depend on him. And the moment they did, they caught this huge lot of fish, 153 fish, in fact, the Bible tells us. Not only that, but suddenly as they start to see this miracle unfold before their very eyes, they recognize it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped, I love this, he wrapped his outer garment round him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. I love that about Peter. The third thing, point number three, the third thing we do is we worship. We worship. You know, the disciples' confidence, it wasn't in the supply anymore. It wasn't about the fish, but it was in the supplier, the provider It was about Jesus. Peter's first response, his only response, the only thing that Peter could do was leave the fish, leave the boats, leave the nets, leave the people, get in the water and get to Jesus. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to worship Jesus. His first response was worship. Nothing else was important to him but Jesus. You see, their whole perspective has changed. Their confidence wasn't in themselves, nor was it in the fish, but it was in the source of the supply, Jesus. And when we recognize that everything else, it fades away. When we cry out, it's the Lord. When we say it's Jesus and we worship him, everything else changes. Let me finish with this. Church, nothing is wasted in God. Absolutely nothing. Together as we are here today, I believe that the Lord really wants to say to everyone here who calls this church home, that fishing net, it represents your lives, your stories, your past. He wants wants to really remind you that nothing is wasted in him. Further down the line in verse 11, it says that the nets weren't torn. You see, the net wasn't broken. In God's economy, God uses everything, everything. And he's calling you, Edinburgh Vineyard, to go fishing. He's calling you to go fishing for men and women in this beautiful city, to be fishers of the broken, fishers of the lost, fishers of the hurting, fishers of the abused, Fishers for those that don't know Jesus. Fishers of those that have got it all together and think they know it all. Your life, your stories, your past, your are the nets that God is going to use to bring in the catch. 
You know, the disciples, they, they've been out all night. They had caught nothing. Then Jesus comes along. Jesus speaks. And notice this. Jesus uses the exact same people with the same boat and the same nets, and they get a completely different result. He makes the impossible possible. And so this morning, we want to say to you, put your nets down deep, deep into the water. Everything you are, everything that God has created you to be. Your gifts, your talents, your passions, your love, your compassion, your past, your future, your story. Put it all in. Immerse yourself into, under the waterline. Be all in. All in. Everything you are, everything you have, put it into the ocean of God. You are to be fishers of the lost. Fishers of men and women. And now go, go and tell your stories. Go and tell of the great things that God has done in your life. Go and tell about this Jesus who we love, who can make even the most impossible situations and circumstances become possible. Go fishing, Edinburgh Vineyard, go fishing. Why don't we stand?